Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you once again to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. At the beginning of the criminally underrated Luc Besson film, The Fifth Element, an alien species is retrieving a weapon that they stashed on Earth in the run-up to World War I. Trust me, it's awesome. As the retrieval is happening, things start going wrong because of Luke Perry. Again, awesome. And it looks like one of the aliens is going to die. Everything's crumbling around him. A wall is literally closing in front of him, and a human priest who's helping these aliens shouts out, there's no time. And the alien, with his final breath, says these powerful words. Time is not important. Only life is important. Only life is important. And that's what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes this morning, life. That's right, nothing less than life itself. I don't know what you came expecting to hear this morning in church, but you're getting nothing less than a sermon on the meaning of life. No need to climb a mountain to consult with a, a mystical yogi. No, just St. Francis in the Fields, sixth Sunday after Epiphany, the meaning of life. So, what is life? I actually think, in the final analysis, that most of us would probably agree on a general definition of life, and we'd find our ideas backed up, I think, pretty solidly by our readings this morning, especially the reading from Deuteronomy, in which we found Moses addressing the people of Israel just before they go into the Promised Land. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, 
that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Pretty simple, right? Life is this great choice or long series of choices. If you make the right ones, you will prosper. Make the wrong ones, you will suffer. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. This makes total sense to our sort of natural human intuitions, right? Cause and effect, actions and consequences. Do you turn left or right? Do you take the red pill or the blue pill? I remember when I was stressing out about the impending birth of our first child, I realized that I was considering my life as this sort of endless decision tree branching out to infinity. All the decisions that I would have to make as a father. Are we doing epidural or natural childbirth? Cloth diapers or disposable? Normal baby food or organic? Public schools or private? And the decisions, the possible branches to take just kept getting more and more and more to spank or not to spank. Screen time or no screen time. Harvard or Yale. (laughs) And I realized that I was subconsciously thinking that if I could just make all the right choices along this infinite decision tree, it would guarantee that my child would be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court or CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And of course, it sounds ridiculous when I lay it out like that. But who among us isn't subconsciously living their lives this way? We all do this. If I make the right decisions, the right choices today, this week, this year, things will turn out okay. If I can just keep things on the right path, everything will be fine. And so we're all driving the cars of our lives with white knuckles, desperate to keep them between the white lines. This, my friends, is no way to live your life. In fact, I'll submit to you that this isn't life at all. It's death. Does that sound like an overstatement? Because it doesn't to me. This quote-unquote life that we live where happiness, health, and peace of mind hinge on every decision that we make actually makes happiness, health, and peace of mind impossible. What we call life becomes a brutal death march marked by stress, anger, and failure. Examine your life. I suspect you already feel this way because we seem to make wrong decisions all the time, turn the wrong way so often. Nothing turns out quite the way we want it to, and our percentage is so bad that even when things are going well, we have one eye up in the sky waiting for the other shoe to drop. And So what happens to us? We become... Paralyzed, terrified to make any decisions lest we make the wrong one, turn the wrong way, and something else in our lives goes wrong. This, brothers and sisters, is nothing less than death. 
It's a living death, a walking death. We're still upright and breathing, but make no mistake. A life like this is no life at all. We're dead. Just don't know it yet. So, what went wrong? It seemed so simple. Sure, choose bad things and suffer, says Moses, but choose good things and be prosperous. And that's what we went for, right? Isn't that what we set out to do? We set our minds to choosing life. We were going to make good decisions. So what happened? Well, after the people of Israel cross into the promised land, Moses goes away. It's Joshua's turn. And at Joshua's final speech, right before he dies, he gathers the people of Israel together at Shechem, just like Moses. And he says these famous words in Joshua 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He's making the same speech that Moses made. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people say, well, this is an easy one. We would never serve anyone but God, the God who brought us out of captivity in Israel. We will serve God too. This is like, sort of like the first decision on their life's decision tree as a nation, which God to serve. And they're certainly not going to get this first choice wrong, are they? Of course, they're going to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they say so. We will serve God. But then Joshua says something fascinating. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. Moses, in Deuteronomy, puts the choice to the people, choose life or death. But he doesn't, because he can't, give them the ability to follow through on their choice. And this is the bad news that Joshua delivers, the sad truth of the human condition. You can't just do what you want to do. This is the weakness of the law, right, of the rules. They can tell you what to do, but they can't give you the ability to do them. This is what Jesus meant you to feel when he said, anyone who is angry at their brother is liable to the hell of fire. Anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let your yes be yes, and anyone who has unresolved animosities should fix them. No one should have any of these issues. You are meant to be brought up short of your ability to do the good things you set your mind to. The choice is obvious. Obey the commandments. Choose life. Do the right thing. Worship God. And all the people said, Amen. 
we will do those things. But then, in our actual lives, we so often don't. We turn left instead of right. We take the blue pill instead of the red pill. We don't do the things we want to do, and we find ourselves doing the things we don't want to do. And all of a sudden, everything is going to hell in a handbasket, and it's all we can do to put ourselves together a little bit on the outside so that the disaster that's going on on the inside won't be so obvious to everyone else. And so the truth is revealed. We don't have the ability to do the things we set our minds to. We wake up each morning and recommit to choosing what is good, right, and holy, and beautiful. And we go to bed each night begging for forgiveness for how we lived the day. This is why we need a better answer than the law. This is why we need something more helpful than a rule book. This is why Moses cannot have the final word. And praise God, he doesn't. Listen now to the good news. When Moses said, choose life, Jesus Christ said, I am the life. Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, no one by their own choosing gets to God. We get to God by Christ. The law says we have to make the right choices to inherit eternal life. The gospel says that Jesus Christ is life and that he chooses us. And as Christians, we know that this is true. We've written it right into our worship. When we baptize a baby, we don't baptize them into, gosh, I really hope they make the right choices. Because as we've seen, that wouldn't be baptizing them into life. A child who is baptized into the burden of making good choices is being baptized into a walking death. But we don't baptize them into their death. We baptize them into the death of their Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we say? Say, thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your Son received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin, death, into everlasting life. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. A life 
lived under the pressure of choose wisely is no life at all, but is actually a walking death. In Christ, the us that had to choose wisely has been put to death once and for all. We have been created anew. We are no longer the ones who choose. We are now the ones who have been chosen. My friend, Jonathan Linebaugh said it this way, being dead is having to live. Being alive is having died. What he means is, trying to live by your own strength is death. Dying in Christ is being raised to new life. So hear the good news this morning. Life and death are no longer up to you. The you that had to choose did choose and died. But now a savior has come, a resurrector, who is Christ Jesus. And he is the life. And he has chosen to give his life to you. Amen.